Welcome and thank you for joining us in season three of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Hey, Joel. Howdy, Dad. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm awake. I'm not in the house. I'm back uh, physically at Temple, which feels good. And uh, yeah, child number two. We're done now. We <laughs> right, everyone. We, we've been on a few weeks break here as a second son was brought into the world. And we are now officially outside of that special eight-day window. And Eric said he's got some time this afternoon to record a new episode. So what what is this child who that has been brought into the world? What have y'all decided to uh, his name is? So his name is David Kalel Linder. Um, you know, in the Jewish tradition, uh, in, with Ashkenazic Jews, uh, children are typically named after deceased relatives, where in Sephardic Judaism, uh, typically those who are alive. And so uh, the D in David comes from uh, the name Dorothy, which was Emily's beloved grandmother, who I never got to meet, um, maternal grandmother. And the middle name, Kalel, uh, some geeky listeners may recognize, as you did, Joel, uh, as Superman's name, which it is. Uh, Kolel is also a he, he spelled this, you would spell it the same way in English, K-A-L-E-L, means voice of God. So that is a Hebrew name. Um, but Emily's father has had kind of a lifelong interest and fascination with Superman. And we kind of consider him to be a Superman in our family. And so... Um, that's the middle name, which is kind of fun. So cool. Welcome to the world, David Kalel. I, I'm looking forward to hanging out with the, the four lenders someday. Oh, can't wait. Come on down. <laughs> I got bourbon bourbon waiting. We won't feed the kids bourbon yet. That's, that's their 20 or so No, but at the baby me. naming, we certainly gave them both some wine. Oh, that's true. Sure. <laughs> well, and that's in the story of Jesus too. So I, those of you who might be a, from the Christian world, if you think that's uh, odd or whatever to our tradition, it really isn't. Uh, there's a, a gospel story about where the name of Jesus wasn't. Uh, they, his parents went to the temple eight days after for for that special ritual. Yep, yeah, and it's a we did it on Zoom like we did our first son, and um, <laughs> you know I, you'll find this interesting, and I think it's relevant to our podcast and the kind of things we talk talk about. Is you know the the Hebrew name. Uh, David, David, means beloved. Obviously, you know, there's King David, who everyone knows, but the word itself uh, means beloved. And our first son, Aaron, was born just as the pandemic was starting, and God willing, David's born just as the pandemic's ending. And one of the things that I, I brought up in the baby naming was that we are beloved in all times, and we should be loving toward others in all times. And so that kind of bookend, I think, made that metaphor in an interesting and hopefully beautiful way. You'll always remember what year that pandemic was, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But enough about babies. Let's talk real, man. <laughs> All right. Although Let's... babies are definitely real. The poop is real, everybody. <laughs> the poop is real. Off we go. Yeah. It's, you're entering into the world where you used to have a free safety. There was one parent that was always had extra hands and was playing backup. And now you're in man-to-man -man defense. So that's a new world, buddy. Correct. Correct. Uh, but we're loving it.
So what's your topic today? So my topic is something that in I'm thinking almost everyone on the planet knows about, has talked about, has a opinion about, and that is uh, the unbelievable and unfortunate event uh, that happened at the Oscars uh, a few weeks ago uh, between Chris Rock and Will Smith. I'm not going to recount it. Uh, I'm sure our listeners know what happened. It's easy to find, Google, read any news article anywhere. Um, But what I wanted to talk about is how this incident highlights something that you and I say all of the time, which is namely that two things can be true at the same time. For me, and, you know, there's arguments in all different directions. So this is not a platform for me to say my argument, although I I think I need to say it just to have the conversation. Um, I think Chris Rock made a horrible, inappropriate joke. I think in 2022, it is just not appropriate to make jokes about people's bodies. And all the more so females' bodies, especially after Me Too. You know, for me, the 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 whole thing with the alopecia and, you know, she's been public about that and her struggles with it, that kind of adds to it. But at a, a, even if she didn't have alopecia, you just don't make jokes about people. And this whole thing of, well, you know who they, you, you know, they should know what they're getting. It's the Oscars and the comedians are there to roast people. And they were sitting in the front row and you don't sit in the front row unless you know you're going to get heckled. That, I mean, I understand that. And as someone who makes jokes and has made jokes and then thought about, you know, their appropriateness, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about that, um, I just think Chris Rock is talented enough to just do something else, right? <laughs> and Will Smith assaulted him. I mean, and and one does not excuse the other, in my opinion. And... Um, what made me want to talk about it today was a, a very good rabbi friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Jeremy Barris in Miami, Florida, who's very good at coming up with kind of puns and, and funny things. He In rabbinical school, he would come up with names of everybody that ha- had some Hebrew tie in it. Anyway, he would say, Will's sin was in hitting the rock when he should have spoke to the rock. Oh, which, of course, is exactly what Moses does. <laughs> and and some people may know, as of course you do, you Unpack that. Yeah, you're going to need to unpack the Moses yeah. hitting a rock bit. So God, God tells Moses to speak to a rock to draw, draw forth water, and God doesn't. Instead, God hits the rock with his Moses. Uh, Moses hits the rock cane. with a staff. What did I say? You said God hit, hit did the I say rock. Aaron? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. I still have infant sl- uh, lack of sleep brain. So, yes, please continue to correct me. Yeah, Moses hits a rock and water does come out, um, but uh, God is not happy. And, that, and <laughs> to say that is an understatement. Moses' punishment for that is he is that he is forbidden from entering the promised land, which he has exactly led his people to over the past 40 years. And so the the parallel, I think, is very telling about how destructive, and I don't mean physically destructive, although certainly, but how destructive resorting to violence is. And I think it, my religion anyway, 
certainly places a premium on the um, withholding of violence. Now, self-defense, that sort of thing, absolutely. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about violence because of anger, because you feel, you know, you feel it's within your right. You feel someone did something. You're defending your spouse. That sort of thing, absolutely not. So that, that's what I've been thinking about for us. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out in that whole as I watched it, and I've heard people say, "Well, he was defending his wife," and what you know, there are all kinds of explanations that try to give Will Smith, who people tend to love, some room uh, to and try to give him justification for his choice in that moment. And so I've been playing around with the line, like, so what if he had gone up there and not struck Chris Rock, but just like pointed his like bowed up and got in his personal space and shook his finger in his face. What about that? What would have happened then? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is it's so like anything else. It is so easy for us who were not verbally or physically attacked, who were not on the edge of our seats wondering if we're going to win an Oscar and having the anxiety associated with that, right? Like, it's so easy for us to sit back and be like, oh, I would have done it this way. So, you know, there's a huge gap there. Like, we are, we're, everybody's Monday morning quarterbacking this thing. And like, you know, I'd like to think how I would react, but I have no idea, right? Just like nobody else does. Yeah. Um, for me, it's not about trying yeah, to figure I mean, out what I would have done. I'm just trying to figure out what we would have all done if, if oh, Will sure. Smith's violence had not been a physical slap. Like, suppose he had just gone up and shook, pushed him a little. Like, you know, dude, get off the stage. And he had just, like, extended an arm and increased distance. That's a different kind of violence, but it's still violence. Or if he had just invaded his personal space, bowed up, shook his finger in his face like a bully might, right? That's a different kind of violence, but it's still violence. Or if he had just gone up and like chest bumped him, right? So it's it's just like right. a, a, a scooch, right? It's, it's a different kind of violence, but it's still and it's also, violence. It's also whether it should be different or not. It is different that it was televised to hundreds of millions of people. In other words, if this happened, if an altercation happens alone between you and I, no one else, I mean, everybody suffered watching that. I mean, I felt anxiety watching it. Now, to use the word suffer is a bit extreme, but, you know, everyone was affected by that. And then, you know, the question of, well, do comedians now have to be worried when they're on stage because other people think they'll have the license to kind of get up and if they disagree with something or a politician for that, you know, any, like, will a congregate come onto the beam up because I say something, you know, <laughs> Slap you politically one controversial right. or something, right. And and at the same time, I, I also hope that... Uh, he will both of it. Well, I feel like Chris Rock won't be, but that Will Smith is not defined by this. You know, th this is an act that was committed in anger, in passion, so to speak. And and I think it is forgivable. It was horrible, but that doesn't mean it's not forgivable. Yeah. And I, I heard this on a podcast. I didn't come up with this, but I guarantee it's true. Watch next year. The two of them will present an award together. Guaranteed. No, he's banned. Oh, that's right. Of course. Oh, right. He's tenured. Right. Yeah, so the podcast, he's out. So. The podcast was wrong, right? Yeah.
See, the, the thing that I, in this picture, like I'm with you that two things are, can both be true and you don't have to pick a side here, right? You you pick anti-violence or, and that's the violence of the insult uh, against, you know, his wife and her body, or it's the violence of his reaction to that. Both of those are violent. But I get the feel that in our culture, if he had just gone up and pushed him a little or just chest bumped him a little or if he had just like shoulder rubbed him kind of harshly as he went towards the mic or if he had just shook his finger in his face, no big deal. Like people would have let that go immediately. But the fact that there was a an actual hand drawn back and it wasn't a, a closed fist. It was an open handed slap. Right. I am surprised that people haven't made a big deal about that. That it was open-handed instead of closed-fisted, right? Yeah, that's a that's a fair point. And you've heard people say that before. Like, I, I don't remember when this was, but like in the '90s, where there was some man, a famous politician, who was being accused of being abusive to his wife, and he said, "Well, I didn't hit her. I, it was an open-handed slap," and like that justified him assaulting his own his own wife. And I'm just surprised in our culture that we don't realize the violence of words, the violence of aggressive body posture, as well as the violence of a, a hardcore slap or hit or punch or stab or shoot, right? There's all of those things are on the same spectrum to, in the wrong direction and, and how to encourage Will <laughs> to not do that or any of us to do that. And then there was this other... I mean, there's so many takes on it, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it there because I, I really don't need to prognosticate about the incident. I mean, there's enough places to do that, but from a religious perspective, mm -hmm. just the how, I mean, you know, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, right? I mean, the, just the abhorrence of violence and how the fact that it proliferates so much in our religion shows our... Um, kind of animal instinct toward violence because we wouldn't be told not to do it over and over again if it wasn't a reality that we were doing it, right? Like yeah. you don't have rules unless someone's violating the rules in, in the first place. And we wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work is the other bad thing. Like violence actually, this world rewards it sometimes. So if you are violent, you get what you were violent for. And- and, and it should be like exactly the opposite, but it isn't. Correct. It, by the way, let me just, uh, uh, to put a uh, coda on this, another movie I need to see. Um, it's a kind of an Oscar, Oscar-themed podcast, everyone. Um, when I was in Israel, a teacher told me a story, and I don't know if it, he heard, if he was there or if he heard it from someone else, but it, it is a true story. It's not an apocryphal story. Um that there, there were some rabbis that were marching with Martin Luther King Jr. And w they were thrown in jail. And they, in passing the time, they decided to share kind of wisdom from the Bible and wisdom from the traditions. And the issue came up of Moses hitting the rock. And Martin Luther King said so, something much more eloquently than I have in the last, you know, 15 minutes of the... The punishment, you know, we all think the punishment was so extreme, like, oh, my God, really? Moses can't enter the promised land? But it is the punishment needed to be that to teach us how 
damaging violence is, that it literally breaks the construct of, of reality. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, Martin Luther King was of Melling Money Thins was known as a peaceful, non-violent protester. Mm-hmm. And I, since I heard that story, which now is over 15 years ago, it's, it's made quite an impression on me. I've always been a little mad at God for putting the staff in Moses's hand and then getting mad at Moses when he used it in in a certain way because God's instruction to Moses is use the staff to do this use the staff to do this use the staff to do this and he he's walking around using the staff exactly like God tells him and then all of a sudden there's this weird out of left field instruction do it this time without the staff and i'm like moses didn't really need the staff did he he could have done it all with just words and joel it's even worse than that in terms of kind of being angry with god because there's a previous instance in the torah where god does tell moses to hit a rock with a staff to get water yeah way up early in exodus yeah yeah so it it, it's an interest you know it's like it's kind of like the um you know help me help you situation of you know are you enabling someone to do good or are you enabling someone to do bad and then after you enable them to do bad say oh my gosh you're being punished i can't believe you did that it's like well you gave me the gun you gave me the bullets you gave me the training you know yeah yeah there's absolutely a fair argument to be made about what's god's culpability not culpability but you know is it a fair punishment given the the context oof yeah, somebody's going to have to punish God one and of day. Course, <laughs> yeah. And of course, this is the week before Passover, which, you know, Passover, a good deal of Passover centers on, on Moses' life. And so it's, it's extremely relevant uh, for Jewish people to be thinking about these things right now. All right, ready to turn? A page? Yeah, what do you got? What do you uh, got? Well, okay, so I'm, I'm a little nervous about talking about this one because it feels a little like, uh-oh, TMI, sharing sharing something you probably shouldn't share, Pastor. Um, so I'm going to try to do it as esoterically as I possibly can. Um, at this church, we are currently looking for some staff positions, and um, as I had some people here in town, it's hard to find folks here on the Eastern Shore. There's only 20,000 people in this county. It's, it's hard. So you can advertise all you want, but it's not like there's, it's not like being in Atlanta or even Athens where it's easy to find somebody if you just post a job electronically, gossip, grapevine will grab somebody. Around here, it's all word of mouth. So we've been begging people, hey, do you know somebody who might? Do you know somebody who might? And and I had a contact. He sent me a name of a person who might be interested in one of the positions. I sent the person um, who might be interested a link to our website with a description and all that. And the person called me back and said, I, I'm sorry, it doesn't look like it's going to be a good fit for us. I, I don't think that your church um, and your church's uh, theology or practices will fit well with me. And I, okay, like, wow, what have we done? I wonder. And I I had to push the envelope and ask, like, wow, what red flares did, did we send up on our website that made you think, wow, I can't practice my faith amongst them? 
And this 20-year-old person uh, judged our Christianity to be uh, non-Christian, said we didn't take the Bible seriously enough, um, said didn't think we could, that we were teaching people in the right way to walk and follow and believe. And and he got all that from a website. <laughs> so uh, that's what, right. So that what what specific language? I mean, I don't want to interrupt your story, but but I I would want to know, and I think listeners would want to know. Like, well, there are the... a few things that I was trying to imagine. Like I know our website pretty well. I know the content of it. I know the about us and some of the pictures and and the things that we lift up and the things we don't even mention. They're like and I started like God, what 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 what? And I realized, oh, we have a female pastor. And I had to say, like, you mean like that we have a, a female pastor? And he goes, well, yeah, in Titus and Timothy, I think Paul makes it pretty clear that. And this person, uh, yeah, right? And at that point, I realized, wow. And, and the reason I wanted to bring that up today is because I, as a Christian leader, I tend to have way more in common and have more fun doing my life of faith with people who aren't Christian, but have a God-like worldview of what the grand creation and community looks like when God gets God's way for all of it. I have more fun doing Christianity with non-Christians who have oh, the, I- the a healthy, beautiful, holy worldview than I do with Christians who have a cold-hearted, judgmental, arrogant worldview like that. And and I am I am becoming more and more embarrassed of the title Christian mm. because too many American Christians carry such a negative representation of the God I know in Jesus. They don't sound anything like him to me. And I am losing my patience with trying to be a Christian leader in the world where the majority of the world thinks I'm a judgmental jerk if I'm a Christian, and then a chunk of my own people of faith don't have the courage to actually embody the community that I think Jesus taught and preached and and embodied himself. So I am... I am feeling torn in half between this, the Christians that I, I couldn't disagree with more, the Christians that I think of as too scared to do the right thing, and I'm finding more camaraderie with non-Christians sometimes than I do with my own brothers and sisters. You mean like the reason we're doing this podcast? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, uh, I completely empathize with you and it, it it's the the timing of your comment is sadly fascinating because um without turning this into my topic um Hebrew Union College where where I 
became ordained from. We have three campuses, four campuses, Jerusalem, Cincinnati, New York, and L.A. And uh, everyone goes to Jerusalem the first year, and then you choose essentially which campus for the next four years. Long story short, after two years of strategic planning, debating everything, Two days ago, a vote was taken, a very difficult vote by the Hebrew Union College Board to sunset the rabbinical program at the Cincinnati campus. So it, there will no longer be a full-time rabbinical school after over 100, almost 150 years. I mean, it's a big deal. A friend of mine who's an Orthodox rabbi posted this on his Facebook page. He said, this is a sad day for reform, for our, you know, reformed brethren, something like that. And one of his friends posted, why reformed Judaism isn't real Judaism. This is a good thing. And so your story, I mean, it just took me right, right back to that. And I think we all have examples of, of that for being judged, minimized, not being made to feel authentic because so-and-so said it needs to be done this way. And, you know, we're, of course, not doing it that way. It is so sad and so frustrating. Um, I think this is why many of us find interfaith, I don't want to say interfaith dialogue, just interfaith relationships so important and powerful because, like you said, we find it's sometimes more kinship. Now, I don't feel this way within my congregation, but I certainly feel this way within Judaism when people hear, oh, you're a Reformed Jew, so you don't do anything, you don't take God seriously, you you know I mean? These kind of things, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... And at the – well, you go ahead. Go ahead, please. Usually – and I don't know if you think this is true or not, but usually it does go back to Scripture. Uh, Whatever we think is right, the background for that is what Scripture says and what we think its sayings mean. And so somebody in a religion knows what it says in English – probably, right? Or their birth language, not the original language. Even if they study the original language, they're way more familiar with their their language that they speak on a daily basis than they are the language of Scripture. Um, and, and in that situation, you know what it says, kind of, but you don't know what it said. And then there's that interpretation at where, okay, for so for me today, that means. Um, and somebody judges that they are doing it as close as they can to whatever it originally meant in the original time. And somebody else says, I'm doing it as close as I can for my time. And that difference splits the world in half, causes civil war. It causes death and destruction and violence. And there have been religious leaders who are violent with one another over that kind of difference. And what I realized in the conversation with this 20-year-old is I would always be um, judged and unwelcome in his worshiping community. And this person would always be welcome in my worshiping community. So let me ask you about that. That's an interesting thing because I certainly have had the experience with religious leaders Within Judaism, where folks absolutely think I am doing it the wrong way. And, you know, this is my word. It's never been said to me out loud. But, you know, my my expression of Judaism is an abomination of, you know, quote unquote, traditional Judaism that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Yeah. 
but I'm still allowed in their prayer service. I mean, I'm still Jewish, right? So it, would you really not be welcome? Or is that, or is it just a semantic way of saying your worldviews are so different? Mm. Gosh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's worldview. I think it's scripture view. Like, and so one thing, I you know, I asked this person, I, I found out some more details about this person's family background. We talked 30, 40 minutes. So, and it was the point where I was trying to understand and I was trying to plant little hand grenades <laughs> right in this person's theology that that might blow up later. <laughs> so, um. I found out, okay, they're they're from a, a military family. All right, well that makes some sense. And and I ask, well, how do you do how do you do violence? How do you do war? How do you do killing mm. in the name of one group of God's people against another group of God's people? How do you justify that? Um if you have family members that were in the military that have killed either to attack or to defend, how do you justify that in your faith? And the response was something about the Constitution and the Second Amendment. And I'm like, you know, Jesus didn't talk very much about the Constitution or the Second Amendment. <laughs> so in, in that situation, what I realized is, okay, worldview <laughs> is more important than Scripture. And for those of us who are trying to say Scripture is more important and informs our worldview, and it, that's step one. And then step two is not just what we think Scripture says, but what we've learned it meant then and how to say that into the world today. So it's – and I'm just exhausted by realizing how few brothers and sisters I feel like I have in my own faith because the majority of the evangelicals read it literally in a way that doesn't sound like Jesus at all. And so many other people that also practice my faith just don't read it. <laughs> they they let something right. else. Well, and this be is a, true a and this of course has this has ramifications everywhere. I mean, look at the the these don't say gay bills, yeah. right? That's all that's all rooted in, you know, yeah. Re- religious beliefs, right? We got to there, too, and I finally said, oh, I, I guess you'd be really opposed to the fact that we would be honored to preside at a gay wedding or we might ordain somebody on the LGBTQ area into a leadership position or even call one to a preaching position. And he goes, oh, yeah, I think the scriptures are really clear about that. And I, you know, and then I've studied those scriptures big time, big time, and said, well, which ones? You know, and I, and I just – it's like setting a trap. <laughs> and putting cheese on it, um, not that I know. I know because and what you what you what hurts is he's twenty, so he's smart and a kid, but mature, but not fully mature, and has some sure. experience, but not a lot of experience, and has been taught a lot of things, but doesn't have a lot of wisdom, right? And I, I'm not trying to say I'm like better than him. In fact, in a lot of ways, I am him. I remember being that arrogant, cocky 20-year-old who hated God and didn't even read the friggin' book. And I thought I knew everything that it said because I'd heard what preachers told me it said. Well, 
when you really study it and you really study it in context and you really study it in community, things explode and you realize, oh my gosh, I don't know this very well. I, I better be quiet for a while and study more. And now for you and me to be at the point where we're clergy, the challenge for me is to say something, <laughs> right? It's I used to have a lot to say when I didn't know very much. And now I know a lot more and I get so scared to say anything. Yeah. But I so I hurt two, for this kid. Well, two things on that is, you know, there are there are people a lot of as, as we know older than that kid who still believe similar things. So, it's certainly possible that this one individual and you know, of course, the two the two of us pray that he does have some, you know, paradigm shift of belief or worldview, but he also may not, right? And the other thing and I I find this to be helpful for me, even though to some degree it, it's sad, it may, it may be counterintuitive, is I, I say to people all the time, we are not for everybody. <laughs> so, right. I mean, we're going to promote our values and we're going to, and, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're not um, tofu. You know, I, one of the things, <laughs> one of the metaphors that's often used with Reformed Judaism is we have a huge tent. You know, we welcome interfaith families. We welcome people regardless of gender or sexual orientation. There, there's no there's no barriers put before the blind, physically or, um, or physically, literally or metaphorically. It's a huge tent, but it's still a tent yeah. where there's an opening and then there's a... Or, or, so, you know, if you came to the synagogue and said, I don't, I want the service to be entirely in English because Hebrew means nothing to me. We're not the place for you. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, and, and you know, the, some, most of the examples I give are extreme, but the truth is, is um, as, as welcoming as we want to be and as many members and we want to have, and you know, I do want more members, yeah. but that's not my ultimate, I, you and I have had this, I think you helped me articulate this. It's not, it, it's not about membership. It's about mission. Yeah, discipleship. And yeah. the mission is what gets the right membership. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not the other way around. It's just that one conversation again. Like I, occasionally I get frustrated with older people who I don't have much hope for because they've lived in a certain worldview for 60 or 70 years. And and when you debate sure. something with them to help them unlearn something, wow, that's going to be hard. And I'm probably not going to win this. So my ability to be frustrated with it but let it go is uh, i have more more patience there um because i just realize okay this one's too big this one's too heavy i'm not moving this one um and i'm not going to be sisyphus pushing that boulder up that hill again um so if i meet a 20 year old though I, what i realized is that made me more sad i was less able to go to sleep that night without it still bothering me and it's because I realized, oh, no, like whatever hope we we have of this message of faith, love and hope being real and being embodied, where no matter why somebody comes to temple or church, they I want them to learn first to love themselves, which sounds strange, but if I can help a person love themselves first, even before they try to love God or love others, just start to love yourself. But be honest about your flaws and love yourself anyway in that honesty, in all your brokenness, in all your mistakes, in the ways that you're still too arrogant or whatever. 
love yourself, then help you love others around you, and that grows to a love of God. I, I sometimes see it in that order. A lot of people think religious communities are, okay, I love God, so I'll learn to love others, and in so doing, I'll love myself. I don't, it's backwards to me. I, um, But I find a lot of these folk who are, they're really clear they love themselves. They think they're perfect. <laughs> They've got perfect theology. And, well, that's the other, yeah. Yeah, and they've drawn a pretty small tent, and I'm outside of it, and they're totally cool with God and with others like them and with themselves, and I'm just out. And ugh, and they do all that in the name of Jesus, and ugh, I you know I don't, I don't know. That kind of Jesus needed to stay dead. Here we are; it's almost Easter. But <laughs> if that's who Jesus is, yeah. Jesus didn't rise again. Right? If that's who Jesus is, just stay in the tomb, buddy. I don't, I don't want to follow your risen, your risen self. Sure. Well, <laughs> welcome back, Dad. Glad we're back at it. Oh, absolutely. It's it's good to get ideas flowing with you again. And uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, y'all keep it real. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert. And on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder, and all the religion fans out there. We thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.